0: everybody, welcome to Hebsey on Sports. I'm your host, Mark Hebsher. We're brought to you by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in Burlington, Ontario. Check out their specials like two green fees plus power cart for $129 plus tax. $129, that's for both of you. Certain restrictions apply. Go to crosswindsgolf.com and I'll see you out there. Today on the show, the madness that is the World Cup. Messi misses a penalty. Ronaldo scores a fabulous hat trick after finding out he won't have to serve jail time. Mexico stuns Germany. What happened to Brazil? Etc. Etc. Dustin Johnson blows up at the U.S. Open. I can't remember the name of the winner, but the same guy won it last year. I'm just kidding. And Phil Mickelson does the unthinkable on a golf course. He dropped his drawers and took a pee on the 18th green. No, worse. And 33 years ago this week, the greatest karate kick in all of baseball took place. Sweep the leg we'll have a look back with George. Don't call me Jorge. Bell. But first the roller coaster ride, the roller coaster ride continues for the Toronto Blue Jays. Can someone explain to me how a baseball team or any team for that matter can go lose 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 win, lose lose, win 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 win, lose lose lose, win win win. That is your Toronto Blue Jays. Those are your Toronto Blue Jays. Talk about feast or famine. They were five and a half games out of first place on the 11th of May. Today, they're 15 games out of first place with no chance of making a playoff spot unless they go on a wild winning streak. And, you know, I've seen it in baseball. You just never know. Teams can lose a bunch of games. Teams can win. It's just kooky. So here's what they need to do, okay? And and, and this is possible. Uh, Eight wins in a row, 14 out of 16, 20 out of 25. Are they capable of that?
1: The last time we won a series against the Nationals, we went on an 11-game
0: winning streak. All right. So it is possible. And if you look at the way they've been playing, or they played this past weekend against the Nationals, they could win 20 out of 25. And what if while they're winning 20 out of 25, the Yankees in Boston are, oh, I don't know, they're playing 500 ball, or are thereabouts. Maybe you could pick up some games. Maybe. I don't know. There's always hope in baseball. You never write a team off, and when they're looking their worst, it's easy to jump on them. And I've done it, and I continue to do so. But that's what fans do, and I'm a fan great pitching they've got great pitching lately the starters are going into the seventh inning you've got the osuna less bullpen uh, by committee nailing down a win you've had solid defense like we saw against the nationals timely hitting like we've gotten from randall Gritchik. Randall Gritchik was hitting like 093 he was he was below the interstate line teoscar hernandez jan Gervis, solarte he's a hot dog but you know what if he continues to hit and field the way he is i it doesn't bother me as much that he doesn't run out ground balls. As much. I still don't like it, but I've noticed with some other players, they kind of do it as well. I just think he has more speed than if he really busted his butt down the line. but I'm not complaining. He's playing well. And Devin Travis. So think about these guys. Think a month ago or so when Devin Travis was in Buffalo, when Randall Gritchick was hurt with his 090 batting average where we didn't know what we were going to get with Teoscar Hernandez or Solarte. And remember, there's no Josh Donaldson. Hasn't been a factor. No Steve Pearce, remember? Pretty good right-handed hitter off the bench. No Troy Tulowitzki. no Osuna, no Marcus Stroman. There's some key figures there that are missing from this team. And no sign of Vladdy Jr. or Bo Bichette or any of the kids that are going to make up this team in uh, the 2020s. So the Blue Jays are getting old fast, and the exception of Sanchez and Stroman, the pitching staff is old. Jay Happ is 35. Marco Estrada is going to be 35 in a couple of weeks. If you can trade those two players and trade a healthy, somewhat healthy Josh Donaldson, you're going to get some prospects in return. You can build a team for the next decade, and you can also re-sign guys like uh, Estrada and Happ. If you like them, they can go, they can be traded, and then you know re-sign in free agency. So you've got, you've got the makings of a core with this team. But boy, a month ago, if you would have told me, I said, no way. Randall Gritchik, mistake. Mistake. Devin Travis will never be the player that he was. Well, they're starting to hit. It's exciting. Too bad the season doesn't start in June, huh? <laughs> Just watching the Jays is an adventure these days. That's fun enough. Uh, and the Braves are in town this week. The Atlanta Braves, the team that nobody thought it was going. And the Braves with a bunch of kids and the Freddie Freemans and Nick Markakis and uh, Julio Teherans and their general manager is Alex Anthe, uh Alex Anth. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think he was with the Jays once, was, wasn't
1: he? <laughs> Double A. He was the hero. They loved him. Now Where's his can. statue?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. They didn't win a World Series, but they certainly. <laughs> no. It was exciting, wasn't it? The man went for it. And the new and the new guys are kind of like still cleaning the cupboard out from all the guys that he traded away <laughs> to get the Troy <laughs> Hey,
1: would, but ask any Jays fan if they would make. Would you, would, you, would you make that trade? Yes, you would. Of course. How close? 90 feet away, my friend. Of course. To the World
0: Series. So uh, the guy's name is Brooks Kepka. Koepka. Koepka. Yeah. K-O-E-P-K-A. And he won the U.S. Open last year. And by all rights, a terrific guy. Not the most you know, uh, dynamic personality in the world. Big guy. Hits the ball a long way. But he's the two-time U.S. Open champion. Uh, and he won it on a course, Shinnecock Hills, which really looks like it looks like a um, like a sheep farmer's field, like it's the winds blowing like crazy and the the, the greens are like uh, like your driveway, like trying to stop the ball on your driveway, like impossible, ridiculous. And it brought the world's greatest golfers to their knees. Now, as a golfer, an amateur, I love seeing golfers struggle. I do, <laughs> and I play for fun. But to watch these guys who do it for a living, right, struggle to make par bogeying and double bogeying and shooting in the 80s gives every amateur golfer reason for hope. If he can, can five-putt, I can five. I don't feel so bad when I make a five-putt. It's a real visceral thing with a golfer. So Dustin Johnson's world number one. Guy's got a body, an unbelievable body. I mean... You know, forget the fact that he's Wayne Gretzky's son-in-law. That's got nothing to do with it. Gretzky didn't have anything to do with Dustin Johnson's success, I don't think. (laughs) You know, maybe Paulina might have. But (laughs) but anyway, but anyway, he's in unbelievable shape. Hits the ball a mile, right? And the sky's the limit for this guy. But the thing I love about him is he can crash and burn, and. There's always drama with Dustin Johnson. He had a big lead, a four or five shot lead after Friday and then fell apart on Saturday. He went from like minus four to plus three, shot a 77. And it's almost like, not like Tiger, not quite like that. Although there's a possibility, no one will ever reach the status of Tiger, but there's a possibility that Dustin Johnson could be kind of like Tiger in that you don't know what's going to happen. He could win by 10 shots. He could go attacking pins and fabulous, or he could fall apart but you just don't know. It could be a train wreck, and it's happened with him many times. So I like watching Dustin Johnson because I don't know what's going to happen. So he had the worst weekend ever, had a meltdown. I don't know if you'd call it one of the great collapses of all time because that's, that's got to happen in the final round of a tournament, a, a collapse. His was on Saturday. But it's what Phil Mickelson did on Saturday that stole all the headlines. Now, Phil Mickelson is the, on the Mount Rushmore of golfers, right? Bobby Jones, Walter Hagen, Ben Hogan, Byron Nelson, Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, Tiger Woods. Okay? I mean, absolutely fantastic. So Phil Mickelson is putting on these greens at Shinnecock Hills and is having a time of it. And every amateur is like, oh, God, I wish I could just pick it up here. But you can't. So he took this one putt, and I don't know if it was for bogey or double bogey, whatever it was at this particular point, point. and not only did the ball just go past the hole, but now it starts rolling towards the other side of the green. And any amateur, and I've done it before, are like, okay, I've had enough. I've had enough. And the rule in golf is if you strike a moving ball, it's a two-stroke penalty. You have to, In golf, you have to apply that penalty to yourself. So Phil Mickelson knew that it would be better for him to stop, hit a moving ball, take a two-stroke penalty. Because that would have been better than having to actually wait for the ball to stop rolling and then try to three putt from 70 feet or whatever it was. So he took advantage of a rule. And this rule was basically applied when John Daly did the same thing many years ago. I think back in the 90s, John was suffering from the DTs. He was trying to kick uh, alcohol. He was really having a tough time of it. And I think and, and you know, he was on one of those holes where you just he couldn't get it up the hill after about four tries. He just he just swatted a moving ball. They gave him a two-stroke penalty because that's the rule of golf. I don't know if he was aware of it at the time. But in Phil Mickelson's case, he clearly knew that if he strikes that moving ball, all right, in frustration over that stupid golf course and the way they set it up and it was so hard, that he, was, he just had a moment, a meltdown. Should he have been disqualified? Absolutely not. Should the Twitterverse and everyone in social media go, oh, he's disrespected the game of golf. Come on. Really? You honestly think that that people are going to go, yep, I remember Phil Mickelson. I remember him for one thing. He struck a moving ball. And that's because, and I hate golf because of it. No way. So as a golfer, I'm here to tell you that we've all felt that way. Would we do it in competition? Maybe, maybe not. Would we do it with our friends? We do it all the time. It's a gimme. Pick it up. I've had enough, whatever the case is. And in a fit of peak, Mickelson had had enough right and then and then he kind of made fun of it the next day when he made par on the same hole the 13th i think it was so really should we be attacking Phil Mickelson should we be talking about his legacy being tarnished and disrespecting the game of golf because in one of those moments that we've all had he struck a moving ball <gasps> did anyone die was it like when Sergio Garcia spit into the cup or Tiger Woods took an illegal drop and nobody said anything, even though he had dropped it closer to the hole, or guys throwing clubs. I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, I say lay off Phil Mickelson, all right? And the fact that he didn't apologize, mm, some people just don't apologize. They don't think they, what they did was that bad to merit an apology. So golf fans, take it easy. Relax, okay? He didn't disrespect the game of golf. Not at all. And really, golf needs to get its head out of its ass, anyway. Don't you think? <laughs> I mean, the way they set up that golf course, they the USGA even admitted, like, "Oh, we're sorry, we made it too tough." They made that announcement. We're very sorry. We've looked at the scores, and nobody can break par. We're, we apologize for making it so difficult. Thank you very much. You want to attract new golfers? Hey, a little fun. Hey, Phil hit a moving ball. Hey, you know what? I think I'll 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 take up golf. It looks like fun. That that's how you attract new golfers. And, folks, Tiger is not going to be coming back. He's not going to create a resurgence in the sport of golf. Unless he comes to the Canadian Open in July for its final time at Glen Abbey because he might have to qualify, he might need more points in order to get into the World Golf Championship, so you never know.
1: It's amazing what a difference Tiger makes because I did not tune into to a minute of this tournament. I did see some highlights on Sports Center or something. Mm. But had, uh, had Tiger been in contention, I would have watched... All day Sunday,
0: right? Right. Interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of people, uh, even though, even if he wasn't in the mix, had he made the cut, just made the cut. Well, there's Tiger at minus third, at plus thirteen, and he's you know nowhere near the lead, but at least he'd be playing and he was capable of hitting those Tiger-like shots and attracting galleries and excitement and wearing his Sunday red and black.
1: People love a redemption story. I mean, Tiger winning again would be the biggest thing since the Vegas Knights made the Stanley Cup final. (laughs) True,
0: but also Tiger had gone. It had been 10 years since Tiger won his last major, the 2008 US. Right. That's a long time, 10 years. It would be a phenomenal redemption story. By the way, we're sponsored by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club. It's been hot out there. I'm going to head out later this week, get in 18 holes, drink lots of water, Hope to see out at Crosswinds, and I may, I may actually hit a moving ball. I, I'm not planning on it. The greens there are not 12.5 on the stimp meter, but still. Have see, tell us where uh, Crosswinds is? Oh, it's in uh, it's in Burlington. It's in a place called Lowville. So that's Burlington. That's like sort of north Burlington, under the escarpment, in a little valley. I took logo. some engagement photos
1: in Lowville. Yeah,
0: beautiful. It's gorgeous there. So it's south of the 401 and north of like the you know the 407 or Highway 5, which is Dundas Street, nestled in between um, Mount Nemo and Rattlesnake Point. That's where there's a break in the Niagara Escarpment, right? Oh. So, the, so you see the Escarpment. You'll see it from the 401. You'll see, so you'll see the Escarpment. There's a break in the Escarpment. And in between the break between um, Rattlesnake Point and Mount Nemo, Heading towards Niagara in that particular way is is uh, crosswinds.
1: At some point, we should have a contest where you can uh, play around with Hebsy. Hey, how about that? People would love that. That's
0: not a bad idea. Maybe if you're, hey, listen, maybe you're thinking of sponsoring the show, and you're going, boy, you know what would really make a good sponsorship is, you know, going up and playing crosswinds with Hebsy. Done. Give me a call. Get in touch. Love it. All right, I'm really loving the World Cup. I don't know about you. Oh, no, me too. I'm all in. I can't in. wait for 2026. Let's go. Hurry it up. Have we got a team? So far, there have been some great matches. It's only the group stage. This is what I like. This is just the group stage. You can lose or draw yeah. and still get through. Right. Very exciting. Lionel Messi misses a late penalty. Argentina can only manage a draw against Iceland. I'm an Iceland fan ever since last time. in the, Was it the Euro Cup?
1: It was the Euro Cup. Oh, yeah, my this God. This is their first World Cup This right little now.
0: teeny-weeny nation with like 87 people.
1: And they do that great cheer afterwards for it the fans. fans. It's amazing, right? You know right? What
0: it's like? It's like the other end of the world. It's like the, um, uh, the the is it the Springboks or the All Blacks that do that rugby cheer? That All huk- Blacks. Oh, yeah, huk- 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 I can't remember. Huk-a. Yeah, it They're was New, New Zealand. Zealand. Right? Uh, New Fantastic. Zealand That's All, all it's Blacks. Like, it's a Maori... Um, it's South Africa's the Springboks. Uh, yeah, it's the Springboks, right. So I love that when they do that. Hookah, So this is the same thing they do. They're great. So, yeah, good on Iceland. Do you know that Lionel Messi took 11 shots and didn't score? 11. Iceland's got a great defense. I've always said well,
1: that. Well, that goalie, apparently he's a film editor. Uh, yeah. Like he's not even like a professional <laughs> soccer player. Well, it, what it's Iceland. A save. I
0: don't think you can make a living as a professional oh. soccer player in Iceland. It's it, a lonely existence. Wow. It's like the Maytag repairman from those old commercials. Somebody's,
1: TFC, I know we have Bono or whatever, but let's yeah. get this guy.
0: <laughs> what a great save. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, the body, with a hat trick as Portugal draws with Spain 3-3. And I don't know if you know this, just before Tell the me. match they announced, the Spanish authorities announced that Ronaldo had agreed to accept an 18.8 million euro fine and a suspended jail term to settle tax evasion charges. It's a pocket change for him. But wait a second. Think about this. A yeah. year ago, yeah. Ronaldo had offered to pay 14 million year- euros to the Spanish government. So he's playing for Real Madrid. He's making hundreds and hundreds of million euros. And it's like, look, I'll give you 14 million euros for this jail sentence to go away for tax evasion. And they go, no, no. Not enough. We want 18.8 million euro. So this year he goes, okay. And just before Portugal plays Spain, they announce that he's off the hook as long as he pays the 18.8 million euros. All right? And he gets a suspended sentence. Last year, Lionel Messi, given a 21-month suspended sentence by Spanish authorities for tax evasion, but instead was ordered to pay a fine. Don't know how much it was. Wasn't as much as Ronaldo. I don't know. Does Messi make as much as Ronaldo? I, I don't know. I don't know, but this is this is. They both make a lot of coin. This is the World Cup. This <laughs> yeah. is the this is the World Cup run by FIFA, which is the most corrupt organization in the world. You know that. You know that this. You know that Russia should have never had this World Cup. You no, know I, I. Oh, yeah. you know that. You know that the I previous that. World Cup, which was in Brazil, a different story there. But also, well, what, Qatar oh, Qatar is next, right? How well, about and, that? Well, so you n- remember what happened when they announced that Qatar was going to get it? Everyone went corrupt. How does Qatar? How? How can you possibly play soccer in July in Qatar where the average temperature is 104 degrees Fahrenheit? Tell me what that is in Celsius. It's How?
1: 40 degrees. Bid rigging?
0: Was it bid rigging? For sure. How many millions of dollars went into the pockets of these FIFA and CONCACAF? They, well, the CONCACAF official, the famous guy. I can't think of his name now. Um, he, right? The, he was the first guy. He, he basically had said... Blatter? No, no, no. Uh, Seth Blatter, was the, he's no. the head of FIFA. This okay. was the guy who was the head of CONCACAF. Okay, I don't uh, know Jack Warner. Idea. Okay. Jack Warner is the guy. He was the one who said, I think, and I think if I'm not mistaken, Mike, Morocco, six times in a row, was in the bidding to host the World Cup. And six times in a row, they lost out. They lost out to Qatar. They lost out to Russia. They lost out to Brazil. They've lost out recently to the Canada, Canada, United States, Mexico triumvirate. Why? Do you know why? Morocco's a beautiful place. They deserve to hold a World Cup there. Not enough uh, unmarked bills in the brown paper bag. Correct. They refuse to pay. But I found out in this fabulous documentary that in fact they had paid 1 million dollars to this guy Jack Warner to host the 2010 World Cup which was in South Africa but what happened was Jack Warner went to the South Africans and said he wanted 2 million and they said okay wow but in actual fact it was 10 million dollars so what happened was he got a million from the Moroccan government right to say all the CONCACAF bids will go to you we'll, we'll support you and then turned around and took 10 million from South Africa and awarded them so how about that corrupt they're so corrupt. Shouldn't even be in Russia this year. But that's another story for another
1: time. Right. On the field, though, you're right. This has been, been super great. exciting. Fabulous. And that that hat trick, do they throw hats on the field? I watched it. No. I didn't see any hats thrown. No, no, the they field. don't.
0: They don't throw. I don't know what that's all about. I don't know. <laughs> and the biggest to
1: me is uh, I'm friends with a lot of Germans, and they're yeah. they are they're just devastated. I would like, be too. Now they need to pick up some points, right? You get uh, three points for the win. They need to get they get a couple of
0: wins to advance here. That's right. Wow. They got beat by Mexico. I like the way the Mexicans play. Oh, yeah. Well, they're a good team. Giddy up uh, on the counterattack. <laughs> very exciting. So, yeah, very, it's great. And uh, I fa- I found that I like rooting against the favorites in soccer. OK, Brazil, they win. And Germany humiliated Brazil last time. OK, right. 7-1 in Brazil. Oh, my <laughs> yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with right? you. So yeah. let Germany lose and let, let Argentina draw. And, uh, let, but let
1: Portugal-Spain was interesting. Very I, good I wasn't match. sure who the favorite was. Like, uh, right. I couldn't quite tell. But yeah. they were, yeah, great game. Yeah, it was
0: a, good, it was a terrific match. Um, back in 1985, the Toronto Blue Jays were emerging as one of the best teams in baseball. The previous season, they had to watch their American League East rivals. Remember, back in those days, there oh, were yeah. two divisions, East and West. So the Detroit Tigers were in the East. Not just the Yankees and the Red Sox. You had the Tigers, too. The Jack Morris, Allen Trammell, Lou Whitaker, Kirk Gibson Tigers. Unbelievable team in 84. Phenomenal. So they start the Tigers. The Jays had a good team. This was just as they were getting more than respectable. The Tigers start the season 35-5. and five. Goodbye. The Jays had a great year. Fabulous year. We closed the gap. I want
1: to say something like we were only four games yep, back at the yep. end of the The Jays finished
0: 89 and 73 that year, which was their best season ever under Bobby Cox. But the Tigers ran away, won the division, and went on to win the World Series that year. Well, in 1984, the Blue Jays player of the year was who? Bar, Barfield? Bell? Mosby? Uh, you would no. probably
1: guess uh, something like either Willie Upshaw or Jesse Barfield.
0: Right. So the Jays player of the year in 1984 was a platoon outfielder by the name of Dave Collins. Dave Collins. Now, Dave Collins was a great guy. Nice guy, 10-year veteran, wonderful guy. Or wh- glasses, right? A white guy, a fast white guy, but but a white guy. And George Bell was a black guy from Latin America, from the Dominican Republic, who didn't speak great English, wasn't friendly with the media, uh, had a chip on his shoulder, had what they call the red ass, was always angry, yeah. but a hell of a ball player. And what happened that year was when Dave Collins stole 60 bases and hit three hundred eight. Uh, All the Blue Jay writers and everybody named him the Blue Jays player of the year. George Bell was in his first full year. He had 292 that year, 26 homers and 87 RBI in 159 games. And Bell felt that he should have been player of the year and not Dave Collins. And he claimed that the media didn't vote for him because Collins was white and friendly with the media. And George was black and Latino and a pain in the ass, a pain in the purple butt. So this is the type of, and I followed this team. Yes. I saw all their games. I followed the team. I knew the players. I interviewed them many times. I think I've gone over this before. It's kind of a badge of honor because it was a long period of time where trying to get an interview with, with George Bell was impossible. Impossible. You really had to make nice with him, and even then, you wouldn't get anything at all. And he was always looking at you, and he was always angry, and he was always, get out, get out of my face, that kind of a thing. So in June of 1985, the year after the Tigers won the World Series and the Jays had a great season, The Jays were in first place, and Toronto was going nuts. And and all of Canada, even though the Expos were playing in those days, was going nuts for the Blue Jays. They were six games ahead of the Tigers. They were all over the Yankees and all over Boston and Baltimore. And they're six games up, and they go into Boston, and they get swept by the Red Sox. Okay? Roger Clemens, a guy named Bruce Keeson, was pitching for Boston then. He had been with California for a number of years, and Bruce Keeson had taken liberties with the Blue Jays hitters. And George Bell was not having any of it. So on June the 23rd, at Exhibition Stadium in Toronto, Keeson was pitching, down 2-0, fourth inning, and he hits George Bell with a pitch. And George loses it. And I'm sitting right there, and I'm watching George Bell sprint to the mound. Keeson is waiting for him. Normally, when someone charges the mound, they throw their glove, they throw a punch, they tackle the guy, they body block the guy, whatever. But I had never seen what I saw that day, when george bell ran to the mound and delivered a fabulous karate kick
1: it must have been a saturday because it i wa- it was a sunday. a sunday because i watched it on tv live and we right. really you didn't see a lot of weekday games back then on tv no no
0: but sundays yeah they always had
1: sundays the, were on tv and i watched it live and he was my favorite player at the time and yes that's a moment i'll never forget the the, the kick on Keyson. amazing
0: so, fabulous now if you recall one of if not the top movie of the day was the Karate Kid. Of course. Yes, of and, course. And Bell never did say, well, I learned that move from Daniel San or Mr. Miyagi or anything like that. Or Daniel Garusa, absolutely. Yeah, but, but nonetheless, <laughs> that was a seminal moment in Blue Jay history. I'm not going to say the team went on, you know, and uh, were spurred on to victory. Look, they had a good team. Uh, they, they ended up winning it. I, I'm not sure Bell's, get, but I think at the time, If you look back, you go, you know what? That moment there, the Jays became tougher. They wouldn't take any more crap. They weren't having guys throwing at them. They were basically saying, you know what? Screw you. You throw at us, we're coming at you with guns a-blazing because we are the young Toronto Blue Jays. And we're led by this angry outfielder who wants to pound you, who hates to lose. And I think the team's attitude prior to that, when Dave Collins was on the team the year before, was a little more laissez-faire.
1: And to this day, we've it's won a couple of World Series since then. But to this day, that is the most successful regular season Blue Jays team ever. That '85,
0: they won 99 games. I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah, fabulous. So, so think about if you can think what kind of team the Jays had prior to that. Oh yeah, we were a nice bunch of young guys and all. And then how tough as a team they became. How Cox started getting thrown out of games. How the Damaso Garcias and the uh, uh, Ernie Wits. Oh, by the way. I'll mention Ernie Witt afterwards, but I mean, the, the team took on a personality more like George Bell and Bobby Cox than they had had prior to that particular moment. So when I ran into Bell at the Robbie Alomar golf tournament uh, a while back, he did not want to talk. Nope. I, he knew me, gave me a half a hug. Hey, how's it going? You know, how are you? Hey, how are the kids? That kind of thing. He's got three sons in their 30s. Um, blah, blah, blah. But he did not want to talk at all. I figured, okay, I'll wait a while. Maybe so he'll get softened up a little bit later. Huh. So anyway, it just so happened that there was a lineup on the hole, the golf hole that I was waiting on, and there was Bell, Barfield, and Mosby, and they were all there together. I think you know this. There were some pictures I put up, and so now I'm thinking this is the best time to get George. Right? He's sitting in the golf cart. Yeah. Let me let me let me um, attack here. Let me take my best shots. Right. I'll ambush him with my you know with my little camera, and. Uh, he said, "I don't want to talk." And I said, "Come on, George." And I'm like, yeah, "He's a re- he's a real diva that way. You, you had to like beg, you know. You know people like that. Come on, come on." And then finally, I just sat there and said, "I just rolled the thing." And I said, "Come on, just a couple of minutes." So he agreed, and uh, you know, he he was never comfortable with his English. He he never wanted to say something that could be misconstrued, so he was very reluctant to speak. And his English his English is good, but it's not perfect. There are times where he uses a wrong tense. Or the, the, This the, is
1: not Jose Batista English.
0: This is, uh, that's right. George, that's right. Bell, George Bell did not learn English in the United States. He right. didn't learn proper English in the United States. He, uh, and when he first came up, he couldn't speak any English at all. And like most rookies at the age of 18, he went to Helena, Montana. That's another story. But anyway, um, after that 1984 snub, he refused to talk to the media for a long time. And there were a lot of stories that kind of got buried there. And I got a chance to ask him a few things. Here's our recent conversation. George. When you came to the Blue Jays, you were a Rule Five pick from Philadelphia. Do you remember your first game with the Blue Jays?
2: Yeah. What happened? Three for four. Who was the pitcher? Carwell. Who? Carwell. I don't remember Mark Carwell for the um, Milwaukee Brewers. So that was your first uh, major league game. My first major league at bat.
0: And uh, tell me about the day. What happened? How, did you get the call that day you were coming to Toronto? What
2: well, What happened? No, I, I came straight from spring training here and. I sit in the bench back for a 20-something game and Mr. Uh, Bobby Maddock uh, tell me uh, the same day I came in the clubhouse, he said, you playing today. Wow. That was a shot. I went out there, you know, get my mind prepared and I went out there and performed.
0: Um, did you have a chance to phone home and talk to your parents, your brother, and tell them you were
2: going to be in the majors? And... No, no, they know, They knew it the sooner I came in the spring trainer. You know, I had the opportunity to make the team, and I did make the team, and they dragged me along with them.
0: I remember that too. Number 11, left field. Um, maybe one of the most famous moments for you, besides three home runs on opening day in Kansas City, was the time that you took matters into your own hands with Bruce Keeson. He pitched, and you didn't like the way he threw it at you. What happened that day?
2: It's a story. That was, you know, that came when, uh, when he was um, in California, he was uh he liked Damo Garcia. He liked Lloyd and I don't think he liked too many people when he was a pitching. When he was a pitcher and then uh, in Boston, he threw to Damo and true to uh Alfredo and and Lloyd. And and I said, you know, you guys got, uh, gotta go out there and get him. If he hit me, I'm gonna go out there and get him. And I did.
0: And uh... That's not something you, it's, you... You don't want to be remembered for that. But that was a key... That season, you lit a fire under the rest of the team. I think.
2: Well, but, uh, you know, there was a, in the old days, in the big league, you know, the young team like we used to have, like, you know, Lloyd, Jesse, myself, Damo, Alfredo, Garth, Willie Upshaw. You know, those guys, they can't handle it. We beat them, and... They, you know, they start pitching inside and, and you know, knocked, uh, knocked us down, you know, on the ground. And um, we got up and sometimes, you know, three, four strike out. And and, and uh, we went in the meeting and I said, hey, they got to stop, man. They got to own, you know, we got to own their respect, you know, the same way we respect them. If it's not going to work like that, we're going to go out there and get him.
0: Um, Toughest opponent that you ever faced? Who was the one guy that you you knew you were always going to get a tough game from?
2: Mike Boddicker.
0: Mike Boddicker. Well, he threw a lot of off speed stuff?
2: Well, he's he was very difficult to, to read when he was pitching. And he threw a lot of curveball, changeup, and to like an 85, 86 mile for an hour fastball. And you were always off balance. And he got my number for a while, but you know, I think I, I finished, you know, in my in, in my career, I finished, you know, hitting him real good. Proudest moment as a blue jay. Eighty-five.
0: The whole season.
2: The, the the great moment ever.
0: How about that? That's that is amazing. Greatest ever. So now, after I turn off the camera because I recorded that with video as well. <clears throat> after I, as soon as I was done with that. Hey, thanks, George. Okay, fine. And he did a promo for you too.
1: Mike? Are you me? It's my ringtone. Toronto tone. Mike. Yes.
0: He, he did it. To, he <laughs> says you're listening to Toronto Mike. It's great. <laughs> and I think he listens to your podcast now too.
1: Oh man, I'd love to have that guy on. He,
0: uh, anyway, so as soon as we're done, right? He's like, okay, man, thanks and whatever. And now he's not ready to tee off yet. His group isn't ready. There's so we're sitting and he starts telling me other stories. He starts telling me stories that I would have loved to have heard when I was recording the interview, but we're not interviewing anymore. So he says, uh, he says to me, you know, who Lynn McLaughlin was. And I said, yeah, I remember him. He was a a, a big pitcher, pitched for the Red Sox, uh, a big black guy. So he says, yeah, he says, uh, he called me a, he says, when I was in Syracuse in 1982, he called me a name. He yelled out some, you know, remark about my uh, Latino heritage, that type of a thing. And then he hit him in the jaw, broke his jaw with a fastball. Teach him a lesson, because George was like 20 years old at the time. So he said... He told me afterwards, he says, it was at that moment that I said, no pitcher will ever intimidate me or my teammates. That was the moment. He didn't mention it during the interview, right. but he told me afterwards. So he told me a lot of things. He's told me a lot of things off camera, not necessarily that I would, you but know. Gives know. you great he context. Didn't, to he didn't understand. say, don't yeah. repeat this. He never said, don't say this, or, don't right. repeat this. Right. But he just didn't feel comfortable telling the story on camera. And be, it's because if you were to go back over our conversation about Lynn McLaughlin, he had a problem pronouncing his name the same way he did Mike Caldwell. When I said, who did you hit that first, that three for four? He went Ca- Caldwell, whatever. He, he he can't he doesn't have the enunciation. So he was uncomfortable trying to explain it, or having to struggle to explain it on camera or with a microphone going, but e- easy to do because he knows that if he didn't say the word correctly or whatever, that th- during conversation you would correct someone, right? You'd say, oh, it's my Caldwell. He goes, yeah, that's what I meant, that type of thing. Sure, sure. But he would never do that He lacked on the confidence
1: in his English. Right, and that's why he didn't
0: give interviews the same way. And this is why we have to understand when you're trying to interview someone who doesn't speak your language. If there's no interpreter there, that person is going to just be uncomfortable because they're – Those words go out there. People don't always edit them. You sound like a fool. You don't want to sound like a fool.
1: Now, it was amazing he would drop names like Damaso Garcia and Alfredo Griffin and Willie Upshaw. And it just brings you right back. But there's there's another cat. Now, he came a little later in the 80s. uh, But uh, third baseman Kelly Gruber, who uh, George played with a little bit. Uh, he's been in the news lately. Did you have any uh, like any any run-ins or association
0: with Kelly? Kelly's a weird guy. What did he do recently? He just he uh, upset. They had a pitch talks thing or something like that. And the young lady who was the host had introduced. Here's Kelly Gruber, Blue Jay Great, and and he was ornery. He and he
1: said something. Uh, he, I, I he watched the video. Her like, he we said, her. Do we? Like, we don't need her. Do you nah, do We don't
0: need her. Yeah. He didn't like her being up there. Right. So what happened was they had to actually uh, they had to put a close to the the festivities there because things were getting a little out of hand. Kelly was uh, being very uh, uh, antagonistic towards this young lady. The host hostess
1: uh, Ashley docking okay I think <laughs> is her name. uh
0: and then uh and then the base canadian baseball hall of fame committee took away all of his credentials right. and invitations for the weekend and basically said get out of here we don't want you to have anything to do with it so this is a problem that's happening in sports more than anything else, because ex-athletes are looked at a certain way. Autograph shows, appearances, you know that type of a thing. They're in demand. A lot of them are. And if you were a member of the Blue Jays and it's Blue Jay Alumni Week and Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and all that, a lot of the Blue Jay alumni show up. Kelly Gruber, one of those guys, right? He comes up to Toronto. Stories about Kelly Gruber are legendary. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer. A few tomatoes shy of a thick sauce. Kelly Gruber.
1: He had that one fantastic year where he was actually a contender for MVP yeah. at 30-homer, 100-RBI, One, I think 1990 or something. I can't even remember. I think it was 90, 1990. But uh, yeah, he was beloved in the city, of course, because he was on that 92 World Series team uh, before Sprague took over at third. Uh, but when you in all your dealings, did you ever witness yep. anything that would explain ever? what we saw here? Never? Like, yeah, like how is about, he... Uh, how about this? Is this him?
0: Here, oh, yeah. This is all him, and it has been for years. First of all, he never thought that women should be allowed in the locker room. And in 1987 or 1989 or 1990, uh, you had a lot of people agreeing, right? In those days, it was only ten years since the Supreme Court made a ruling that allowed equal access, uh, regardless of gender, to all locker rooms for baseball. Changed the whole culture. A lot of guys could not accept it. And think about this: mm-hmm. you're used to dressing with other men. You know, you got your junk hanging out. You're not, th- and now you have to be modest. You've got to be, and the locker room culture is anything but. So it was a real adjustment for a lot of guys, and they made it very, very difficult on female, very difficult on female reporters. This is something we've been fighting as a society for a shorter period of time than the baseball, right? Baseball did it in the 70s. You know, if you would have, if you would have made, um, uh, I don't know, um, unisex washrooms back then, or whatever the case was, you know, the public wasn't ready for that. And baseball certainly wasn't ready for it. So here's the Kelly Gruber story. Yeah. Spring training one year. I, don't, I couldn't tell you what year it was where we want to interview him, right? And he said, yeah, when I'm finished and all you know, my workouts, I'll do an interview, and we're waiting, it's Dunedin. And so he comes back, and everybody else is going off the field. There's a meeting in the clubhouse. They've called a meeting in the clubhouse. And Kelly says, yeah, i got to do this interview first. And I say to him, it's an on-camera interview for Sportsline, I say, look, we'll get you when you come back. He goes, no, 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 I, I know you guys, you got other stuff to do and whatever, let's do it now. So we start the interview, and in, and in the midst of the interview, I think Jimmy Williams was the manager, as a matter of fact. Yeah. In the midst of the interview, two minutes into the interview, Jimmy Williams basically is like, hey, guys, we're having a meeting. Spring training. And Kelly Gruber turns around and goes, hang on, Skip, I got an interview to do. (laughs) Well, there's other people around. There's other media. There's fans in the stands at Grant Field in Dunedin. And they hear Kelly Gruber. Basically, flip off the manager. (laughs) So I'm like, "Are you sure?" Yeah, yeah. We keep going anyway. We do it about I don't know about eight or ten minute interview, right? And we find out later that when he went back into the clubhouse, they ripped. It was a scream fest. Batting helmets being thrown and bats breaking toilets and madness. And we thought, like, why would Kelly? Like, what kind of an oddball flips his manager off in spring training to do an interview when he could have done it later?
1: Sports line was a big deal.
0: Yeah, I'd like to think that. No, that wasn't it. That's just that he was weird. He just he didn't have his priorities straight. His priority was you're a team man, you don't flip the manager off. You know, 40 other guys are going for a meeting and you're going for an interview. It doesn't look good for any of us. So, and Kelly Gruber also was accused of, and it was never confirmed that while he was supposedly rehabbing an injury, he was water skiing. That's the Marty York story. I know this story, of course. And if you look at Kelly Gruber, he used to go to a lot of bars, used to do a lot of partying. You know, I could see it uh, that it was him. And the more vehemently he denied it and uh, and uh, pointed out the reporter, the more I believe that he probably was water skiing because he didn't didn't give a shit. So that's the Kelly Gruber story there. And what he did was un- inexcusable. It makes the Blue Jay organization look bad. It makes the Blue Jay alumni look bad. Guys like Barfield and Bell and Mosby and Upshaw and all these guys. You don't think are cringing? He's not one of us. He doesn't represent the Jays. So he's no, Gruber, he's no
1: Lloyd Mosby, let's no, put it that way. Kelly
0: Gruber had better get his act together or he will never be remembered fondly as a Blue Jay and as a human being, someone who just respects people, period. There's the Kelly Gruber story. All right, that's it for the show. Boy, things just move along here in the sports world, don't they? I welcome your comments, opinions, suggestions, ideas, and feedback of all types. Hit me up, Hebseyonsports.com, and leave a message. On social media, I'm Hebseyman. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Go to YouTube, too. i got a page there. Thanks to Toronto Mike for production and inspiration. Hebsey on Sports brought to you by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in beautiful Burlington. Check out their specials like Nine and Dime or two green fees plus cart for just $129. Go to crosswindsgolf.com. This is Mark Hebscher. Thanks for listening to Hebsey on Sports. So long for now.